Today we're kicking off a new series on the Ten Commandments. And today we're going to be looking at the First and Second Commandments. And uh, we've titled the message, First Things First. In um, Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 6 will be our text. And we'll be looking at that in just a moment. But I want to offer you some, some context to uh, what's happening right here. So the Ten Commandments, we all have heard of the Ten Commandments. If we can recite them badly or partially, most of us, right? Because we knew the song when we were a kid and then we forgot about it. But uh, we sometimes feel like the Ten Commandments came down from heaven and God was saying, be like this. But it's actually, it's a part of a much larger conversation that's taking place. The Ten Commandments weren't the initiating conversation, but sometimes in our faith, we start with all of the rules. I want to encourage you that God didn't just start with all of the rules. He started with a purpose and he started with a plan. And that plan and that purpose was both to bless us and to, to send us to represent him over all the earth. And there was going to be, there was going to, the blessing for us was that we would have the opportunity to participate in his work, but then also we would be beneficiaries of the work. And we would be beneficiaries of the relationship with him. So it's that we were going to walk with him. We were going to know him. We were going to relate to him. And, and he was going to be our God. And we were going to be his people. And it would. It, and we had this delight of service to him that was available to us or that is available to us. But so often, again, we start with these rules. Right? I mean, if, if you ask me, how do I become a Christian? I might say, well, you got to go to church. Right? Actually, I wouldn't say that. But that's what I used to say. So, well, you got to go to church. Well, you got to go to church and sign up for a small group and you got to be on a service team. But it can't be one of those once a month service teams. You got to be at least twice a month service teams to really get full credit for your service. And then, you know, depending on what church you go to, service should either be enjoyable or not enjoyable. Not the service. I'm talking about service, like giving and serving. Right. And I might say, well, you've got to serve and you've got to really not enjoy it or it's not service. (laughs) I've believed that at different times in my life. Actually, I use it to console myself sometimes. You know, it's like, well, it's it's really I've entered into a realm of service now because this has nothing to do with what I want anymore. Right. Has anybody ever served like that before? Only. Yeah. Okay. there we go. A couple people. So I would love to invite you to have the opportunity to serve until it hurts with me. And it's actually a delight. And then some places it's like, oh no, if it's inconvenient, then, you know, that God's definitely not calling you to that. You know, <laughs> pulling trailers. You got to wake up at 7 a.m. Jesus isn't in that. It's Sunday. It's a Sabbath. <laughs> Day of rest. Can I pick it up at 11? No, that's not how this works. So, uh, so join us in, um, in serving. Um, but we think that God starts with the rules. But he didn't. And even... Exodus chapter 20 and the Ten Commandments falls in the context of a conversation with God as he's cutting a covenant. He's making this agreement with Moses and the Hebrews. And you can see in chapter 19 that it didn't just start in verse 20. And we're not going to read it, but I kind of want to walk you through what happened. So, so in chapter 19, the, um, the Lord was, was uh, I'm sorry, I was in numbers. I was like, that doesn't look like doesn't look like Moses. 
So in Exodus chapter 19, we see that God is uh, calling Moses and the people uh, to Mount Sinai. And he calls them. Uh, he, Moses went up before God and the Lord called to him on the mountain saying, you should say to the house of Jacob and tell all the people of Israel, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians. I destroyed them for you. And I set you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. If you obey my voice and keep my covenant, You'll be a possession among all the, uh, my treasured possession among all the peoples for the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So he's saying, Hey, I set you free from this slavery. Come to me and I'll exalt you across all the nations. You'll be my people and it'll be beautiful. You'll have me and the blessings of being with me over all the earth. And so God's inviting them into this. So Moses, hearing this, is like, hey, this sounds like a pretty sweet deal. The God who created heaven and earth, meaning everything, is inviting us into relationship with him. He's inviting us to be his people. Y'all, I think we should do this. Uh, It'd be like if somebody wanted to to sell you a Rolls Royce for 10 bucks. And then they were going to give you the 10 bucks back. Right? You know, it's like, I think I need to do this. Right? We cover the insurance. So Moses went and told the words of the people. So he called the elders of the people and, and he shared all this stuff with the people. And the people answered together and they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we'll do. We're not foolish. This sounds amazing. We could either be slaves in Egypt or we could belong to God and be his people and walk in his blessing. I'll take that. And so Moses hears his elders, he hears the people and he goes back to God. And God says, okay, consecrate the people and I'm going to show up to them. Now God's going to appear to the people because they're having this conversation. They're, They're striking this covenant. They're making this agreement. And it's not a contract. A covenant is far out and beyond a a contract where, you know, we cancel it when it gets uncomfortable, right? Marriage is not a contract. It's, it's a covenant. It's Megan. I will love you every day of my life until I die. Right? Shouldn't like, get married, stay married. <laughs> Hashtag, get married, stay married. Right? And, and, and her to me. And this is our commitment. This is our covenant to one another between me and her and God. It's, Megan, I will love you forever. God, I'm going to love her forever in your sight with your empowering. And there is no, oh, this week was terrible. I'm out. This year was terrible. I'm out. Ten years was terrible. I'm out. That's not my story, by the way. <laughs> it's always my, <laughs> never mind. I got nothing to, I got good problems. I got nothing. <laughs> Jump, you can be, I, I don't have those problems either, baby. Go ahead and tell your wife a little bit. Um, and so they, they, he's making this covenant. And so he says, and then God appears to them in the cloud. He says, he, uh, so Moses said, be ready the third day and go, don't go near a woman. Be consecrated. Be set apart for me. I'm going to show up and you got to be right if I'm going to show up. This is what God's saying. And so then, he, then they come, they show up at the, the b- bottom of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke went up like a smoke of a kill and the whole mountain trembled greatly and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called to Moses on top of the mountain and Moses went up. How terrifying is that? 
the mountain's shaking, it's covered in smoke, and in front of all of the Hebrews, he's like, Moses, come here. (laughs) You ever been called out among a group of friends? You're like in the lunchroom, and the principal goes, you. It's like, oh. Or you're with a group of people, and the boss walks in. I need you. So in front of all the people, God calls Moses up onto the mountain, and this is now where we have these Ten Commandments, and they're given. But are you seeing how it didn't start with just the rules? It started before, and we got to be careful when we look at the Bible about how we take things out of context. I think one of the reasons that we, that we like, or some of the reasons that we like to say that it, God starts with the rules is because we would like him to start with rules. For the same reason that I, I gave uh, a partial illustration earlier, if it's a lot easier to say, oh, you want to be a Christian? Go to church. Oh, here are the rules you got to find. You got to serve on a team and you got to do this and you got to do, you have to read your Bible every day and you got to pray for like at least, you know, 15 minutes, you know, 14 and a half. You might not get there in the presence enough and, you know, you might just get like a partial presence and that's not saving. So you just got to really make sure that you get it all. And then, you know, when you take communion, you've got to crack your wafer. And then, and then you got to get all the grape juice down in there. Cause if you leave any grape juice, you're not sanctified. You know, like it'd be so easy. Like we want to create all these different rules, right? You got to show up to church 25 minutes early, like early enough to be seen by the pastor and the people, you know, and like, but like, you know, you know what I mean, right? We make all these rules about what it means to be a Christian and because we would prefer that it be that way. Cause we're lazy. Really? It takes a lot more work to believe, right? It's less work, but it's more work. Because I would rather do things to impress God. And he's saying, no, believe that I've done this. No, I'd rather show up to church 25 minutes early. Drink all my communion. You mean I can usher once a week? And so, uh, so I think it's partly because we're lazy. I think sometimes um, it's, because, it's because we would like to think that he's not personal. And rules are so impersonal. And so because he's impersonal, we don't have to be personable to him. It's like, oh, he's just got all these rules. We've got to follow all these rules. Tell me about these rules. I've talked about it before, but I think we'll find in this series that the rules that God lays out in the Ten Commandments are quite reasonable. And I'll talk about the first two and why those are reasonable. But like, why are we bucking against don't murder? That protects you. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Why do you, why would you even have a problem with that? So many things I want to say. (laughs) So let's jump into, you know what? uh, One more thought. It's just that sometimes we expect that because there are these rules that we're not going to be able to meet God's expectations of us. So we reject him early so that we can be in control and be the one rejecting. Okay, so the Ten Commandments, we find them in in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I am the Lord, 
uh, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is God's word to us. Father, we love you. Help us understand today, today what your heart is for us and what uh, and how we can respond in faith to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, just one, one observation right off the top. You know how it says the water below the earth? Just in the last few years, they discovered that there are these enormous amounts of water underneath the continents that they didn't know about previously. I just think that's the coolest thing when something that's been in the Bible for thousands of years is found by science. And it's like, look at that. You know, because <laughs> prior to like a couple of years ago, the Bible was lying about there being water under the earth. Right? But no, no, we know that it's true even if we haven't discovered it yet. In science, my, my trust and my rest is going to go with Scripture. The inspired Word of God. And so even if we don't understand it yet, even if it doesn't make sense to me yet, I'll agree that I don't know everything yet. There's a really cool illustration right now. I'm distracted again, but I'm going to do it anyway. Where it's like, so if you, you know, it's, if you don't believe in God or, or even if you do believe in God, we have, to, we have to acknowledge that we don't have all the knowledge. So if there's so much knowledge in the world, like this much knowledge in a big circle, how much knowledge do you think that you have of all the knowledge in the world from all the way past to all the way future that we'll ever have? For some of us, it's bigger, but it's only a marginal difference. It's insignificant, right? I have like a pea-sized amount of knowledge, right? I don't even remember what I knew about dinosaurs when I was six. Right, so even the knowledge that I have is fleeting, and it and it and it runs away. If I don't, you don't use it, you lose it, kind of thing. Um, and then you've got Ben, who's getting his doctorate in mathematics as a data scientist. Like, so he's got a lot more knowledge than I do. But even of all the knowledge that's accessible, of all the knowledge that's available, he has very little of it. And so there's always the possibility that God is up to something beyond our our current knowledge and beyond our ability to understand. And so we always have to be able to recognize that and acknowledge that when we run into something in scripture that we don't understand, it's, it's, you know, it's not an embarrassing thing to be like, I don't get it. And you could go to someone like Pastor Eddie Barnes or Pastor Danelle Perkins and ask them the hard questions. <laughs> and say, hey, I ran into this in scripture, but it does, I don't, I don't understand it. And depending on what it is, it might just be one of those mysteries that we'll never fully understand. I alluded to the Trinity earlier, but the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all one, existing at the same time. And, and they're not separate from each other, but they're distinct from each other, but they are not really different than one another. It's a mystery. Well, we won't be able to completely unravel it. And maybe someday, and, and when we're... When, 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 when we're with him. See, I'm stressed out thinking about it. Someday when we stand before him, maybe we have knowledge of those things or maybe it's just like, it's more amazing than I thought. And we'll come to a place of accepting that, man, he is so far out and beyond what I ever dreamed or imagined. And that'll be an acceptable thing for us at that point. So, um, all right, so let's jump in. So I'm going to talk about uh, God's resume 
our requirements, and then I, or what did I say on there? Go ahead and put it up. Responsibility. Our responsibility in this agreement, and then the reason for the responsibility. So his resume, covenants, covenants require a whole lot of different parts. And one of the parts is the kind of the identification of party A and party B. Party A in this case is God. Party B in this case is us. And so it leads off and he tells us who he is. He says, so the Lord spoke these things saying, I am the Lord, your God. I'm God. I'm him. I'm all powerful. I'm, I'm everything that God is. That's me. And you're the ones that I delivered. I'm God. You're not. You're not. I am. Right? It's pretty straightforward, but it's important. So he establishes him as being God. There is no other God before him. Now, the reason it says no other God before him, or the reason that sometimes you'll see that we'll sing a song like no, no God greater, no, no other gods, right? Is because there are little G gods all over the face of the planet. There are demonic forces that presume to be gods or act as if gods, but then there are things that we elevate to the status of God. And those are idols. And we'll talk about those in just a moment. But God is saying, don't give credit to anybody else. I am God. I am the sovereign in this agreement. I am the greater in this agreement. You are the lesser in this agreement. And already that's a little bit offensive, isn't it? Because we're like, God, I thought I was great. I thought about all this Jesus stuff was all, was all about me. I thought about you died on the cross for me and you rose from the dead for me. You set up this church for me. God, I'm kind of a big deal. And God's saying, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm God and you're not. And he says, don't have any other idols. Now, now we move from the resume to our requirements. He says, don't have any other gods before me. Don't give the credit that I'm due to anyone else. Don't give, if, if I painted a masterpiece, that would be a miracle. But if I painted a masterpiece and, you know, and Glenn, you walked up and you were, look what I painted. I would choke you out. I painted that. And Glenn's like, no, no, I painted it. And I did a great job. And now he's winning all of you over. And he's like, look at this great painting I painted. I'm like, I painted it. Like I'm insecure. God's not insecure. God is jealous. And, and we'll define that in just a second. But, we're, but, but he's not interested in anybody else getting credit for what he deserves credit for. For creation on everything in heaven and on earth. For you and for your freedom and for what you have. And for what you don't have. You know, God's not just responsible for like the things that are most happy. When a difficult time comes on us, God is sovereign in those too. And it takes uh, a lot of courage to admit that, that God is not just nice to us. He's abounding in love. He's kind. Last week we described kindness as being giving what you need, not what you want. So I want a million dollars. But God is kind and not giving it to me. <laughs> The reason, well, so the, the requirement, 
our responsibility is to make sure that we don't allow other things to take the place of God in our lives. I don't know why it is that we're so anxious and so ready to worship anything else other than God. Isn't it like somebody compliments you and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I want to please them. I'll get another compliment. And then we'll run around and we'll do ridiculous things and stay up ridiculously late or waking up ridiculously early and and going so far beyond what was even necessary to, to fish out another compliment. Instead of resting in the satisfaction of knowing that God... God's love hasn't changed yesterday to today. If you want to be stressed out, try and please everyone. Make an idol out of trying to please everyone. Idol worship is when we put anything in the place of God. And I think, you know, God's sitting here going, you know that tree won't deliver you. You know that job won't deliver you. But again, back to the, we'd prefer... I think sometimes we know that the job's not going to deliver us, but it's scary to give control of our lives to God. And so we look for other idols because it's like, it's like, well, God's all powerful. He could do anything he wants. So let me, let me find my identity and something that I can control. And we can control our idols. We decide what they look like. We decide uh, how much we give to it or we think we do. But inevitably, what starts as it serving us, it ends with us serving it. You like that music. You like that artist. Great. But it can become an idol. It becomes a thing that you live for. And it becomes a thing that that drives you and motivates you. And you take on the values. And you take on the beliefs. And you take on the structure of that person's life. And that person's songs. And that person's art. Because we relinquish authority to it. And we treat it as a god. You know, we're, we're wired a certain way. And, and uh, Megan and I were talking about this recently, that it, the first time I experienced something taking advantage of my machine was in college. So I had a computer, and I was like, okay, so I had this job. I had to download some, some software to, to do this job. So I downloaded software, and the software went everywhere in my machine. Every program, even Minesweep. <laughs> and college students are like, Huh? Even my, like it it loaded itself into every single place in my machine because the machine was built a certain way. It was built to give access to things so that things could have access to every part of it. And so whatever you put into it, it gets access to. I said that worse than I wanted to, but you, you pick up what I'm putting down, right? Our bodies are the same way. Our lives are the same way. You know, my body wasn't designed for Kool-Aid but it'll use it, right? It was designed for the water, not for the delicious sugar. (laughs) But because I'm designed a certain way, my body's going to function a certain way and it's going to take whatever I put into it and use it the way that my body was intended to use what was supposed to go into it. I'm spending too much time there. But that's why idols are so dangerous. We were designed to worship God. We were built to honor him and to glorify him. And so uh, we, we are hardwired to do this thing. And if we're not giving this worship to God, we're giving it to something else. A job, a boss, a, a reward, a promotion, ourselves, our spouse, our kids. I don't know that there's a greater idol than kids in the Northern Virginia area. 
So he gives us his resume. He tells us what our requirements are. He reminds them what they, what they were doing. And then we come to the reason. And the reason is this, that he's a jealous God. I thought we weren't supposed to be jealous. Jealousy is desiring that which is your own. Envy is desiring that which is someone else's. So God is saying in the context of all of this, you're my people, you belong to me. In this agreement, you're my people and you belong to me. I'm jealous for you and I don't want you running off and worshiping clovers or trees or or cows or any other thing. Uh, the clovers, I, I watched, I was going to show it today. There's a VeggieTales clip where about St. Patrick, where St. Patrick goes to them and he's like, God is like a shamrock. And they're like, oh, great shamrock. <laughs> he's like, no, 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 no. It's like a shamrock. He's not really like a shamrock. And we could talk about, Pastor Eddie will explain how that's modalism or some other kind of heresy. But but it's not, he's not like a shamrock, but he, like the people that he was worshiping or the people that he was trying to instruct about who God is were so ready to worship anything but the true and living God. And they were like, is there any way that God is like a stick? And he's like, no, I don't think so. And then they all threw their sticks down. It's like, oh, okay, I guess we'll worship God. But we're so eager and so ready to worship anything else other than God because those anything else we know that it doesn't have power and authority over us. But he's jealous for our attention. He's jealous for your worship. He's jealous for your Monday night and your Tuesday night and your Wednesday morning. He's jealous for your singing worship and for your service worship. He's jealous for your heart. He's jealous for your purpose and your destiny. He wants it for you more than you want it for you. And that, that's a relieving thing, and it, it helps us understand what's about to happen because this is, this is where it gets really offensive, and I, and I, can't, I won't belabor it because i got to close. But you see in verse 5 and 6, it gets really offensive. And if I cared about offending people, I wouldn't read it right now. we just close and be like, that was really an encouraging message. God wants us to worship him. He says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I'm the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Our hatred of God is easier than we would like to think. Romans 1 teaches us that we are enemies of God before we come to him through Jesus Christ. My hatred of God doesn't necessarily manifest itself as me screaming at God and telling him that I hate him. But it does manifest itself as me choosing to lean into uh, my own pursuit over what he would have me pursuing. My hatred of God is demonstrated when I'm slow to forgive. My hatred of God is, is demonstrated when, when I, I see a need that I can meet and that he's prompting me to meet and I reject that prompting. You're not called to meet every need. But we know the difference between when God is leaning on you by his Holy Spirit and he's like, hey, this is, this is your turn. Step up and meet this need. And I'm like, no, I'd rather do what I want to do. So hatred of God is easier than we'd like to think it is. But he says he's going to visit the iniquity of the, of the fathers on the children. What a terrifying thought that my response to God is going to affect God's real uh, relation to my children. God can't do that. He can. You don't want a God who doesn't. 
Because a God who doesn't is, at best, impotent. At worst, it's unrighteous. As Sean talked about earlier, he, we would rather overlook unrighteousness because, because we love someone or because they're cute or because whatever, they've given us something. But God doesn't have anything that's, there's nothing that exists that's not his. So he's not impressed by what we give him. I can't sing well enough to impress him. I can't draw well enough to impress him. I can't preach well enough to impress him. I remember uh, when Grace Covenant was here between 2003 and 2007, I was worshiping in that back section over there. And I was singing and I knew I was singing. I was doing a great job. I was singing it like most of the notes right. I had both my hands in the air. I even like waved them a little bit. Like I had my declarations hands out, not my reception hands. So I was like really just declaring and, you know, like just worship. It was great. I mean, this is like training video worship level stuff. I was on beat. That doesn't always happen. And I was like, God, I'm pretty significant here. You know, somewhere in the song, it turned from like worshiping God to being like, man, I'm great at this. No wonder you like it. (laughs) God, I'm pleasing to you. I'm awesome at this. And I didn't realize it until I saw a guy a few rows ahead of me who um, was socially delayed. And he was jumping all offbeat and clapping offbeat and singing badly and loudly, making up words. And, you know, my, and this is what snapped me out. I thought, that guy doesn't have what I've got. <laughs> and it struck me like a bolt of lightning. And I started weeping. Because I thought God was pleased with me because of what I brought to him. But God was pleased with me because of what he did for me. I watched this guy dance around and I was like, God, I want to dance around and be an idiot. It pierced me through the heart. It's like, God, teach me to worship like that. Because of the idol of pleasing people, it's like, oh, what are people going to think if I'm offbeat? I put my hands up. If I don't sing the right words, I don't say it the right way, what are people going to think of me? That gentleman had no care, no regard for anybody else in the room but God himself. And it was beautiful to me when I finally saw it. I think it was beautiful to God all along. But God will visit our sins. He's righteous and he can't allow it to go without punishment. How we live our lives will affect our future generations. Now, it's not on us living absolutely perfectly. Jesus Christ covers our sin. Here's my encouragement to every father and to every child. Daddies, where you messed up, even if you've gotten right since you were messing up, cry out in prayer for your children. And children, cry out to God both for yourself and for your fathers. Megan described the Life of Freedom class, and she said, um, 
you know, sometimes we're, oh, that's just the way my family is. Everybody gets divorced. She didn't say that, but everybody gets divorced. Oh, that's just the way we are. Everybody's an alcoholic. Oh, that's just the way we are. Everybody's this. Everybody's depressed. Everybody's anxious. Everybody's fearful. That's just the way we are. But when we surrender our life to Christ, we get a new name. And that family is not bound by those same things. There is freedom and liberty. And I'll close by saying this. It says he's going to visit the sin of those who hate him. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. What a beautiful promise. That the effect that we have on our generations isn't just negative. In fact, you see that he's basically, uh, I saw one commentary that highlighted that he speaks of visiting sin in the fourth, uh, in the third and fourth generation, but when he speaks about the blessing, he speaks about thousands. To highlight that the desire of God is not to curse. The desire of God is not to visit and to judge the iniquity. The desire of God really is to bless. Here's the scariest thing about our God is he's made, he's proven to be righteous in both. He's proven to be holy and good in both. Not just when he gives us a promotion. Not just when he gives us a baby or something exciting. But even or especially in the judging of sin. We remember all these things in the context of God saying, enter into this covenant with me. Where I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. You experience me and the fullness of me and the benefits of being with me. In the new covenant that's established in Jesus Christ, our work is to believe. It's to cry out to Jesus and say, I've lived the way that I wanted to live. I've done things according to my own plan and my own purpose. I surrender to you. I believe that you are God. I believe that Christ died and rose from the dead according to the scriptures. And then we continue to stay in him and to abide in him and believe and allow the work of, uh, allow the spirit of God to refine us and change us and transform us for the rest of our life.